inspire us to faithfulness and obedience in Christ, to be givers in the way that you have given to us. Shape us in these moments. We pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. We are coming up in the next few months, as everybody painfully is aware of, on a um, presidential election. It is in full swing. It is in full force. Whether we want to hear it or not, it is before us every morning. Every morning, Tony and I, as we're getting, well, until now she's on summer break, but when she's in school year, um, as we're getting ready for the morning, you know, we watch the morning news shows, and that's what always leads. It's the, the presidential politics. And, and let me put you at ease right now. I'm not getting into presidential politics. That's not where I'm going here this morning. I know better. Um, but, but I was looking at some of the statistics from the most recent elections. And the statistics show us that upwards of 40% of Americans don't vote, that are eligible to vote, up to 40%. It varies and it changes a little, ebbs and flows a little bit with the election. This is kind of, um, you know, in more recent history. But, but over 40% don't vote. And, and I don't want to oversimplify the reasons why people don't vote. Um, there's inevitably a variety of reasons people choose not to. And um, I, I, I'm not going to tell you to vote, but I would encourage you, I mean, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, but I would always encourage you to vote and exercise that right. But one of the things that I do hear, and, and you've heard very, very frequently, and maybe you've kind of succumbed to it yourself, is the thinking that kind of permeates our mindset that keeps a lot of people away from the hassle of standing in line or going to a polling place is um, what difference does it make? What difference does it make? That's, that's what we hear a lot, a lot, or I've heard frequently. What difference does it make? Because we see a very narrow view, and we see our one vote in light of millions of votes, and we think, what difference does my one vote make? Well, we know if you took 40% of those one votes, it would make a huge, or the 40% who don't vote, they would add up, and it would make a big difference. But it's that mindset that really I wanted to speak into today. The idea that I don't make a difference, because that's what we're saying. My, it doesn't make a difference, so why bother? Now, I don't think that's the healthiest perspective in politics, but I will tell you what, what concerns me so much more is when that kind of thinking begins to permeate the church. When that kind of thinking begins to permeate our lived faith in Christ, the idea becomes, well, I don't, I don't make a difference. I, I don't I don't make a difference because what I bring to the table in, in, in our own minds, those who, who and if, if that's kind of a thinking that begins to get in your brain, what happens is we begin to think what, what I can bring, what I'm good at, my gifts, my abilities, my talents, they're just, they're just not that significant. And, and what we're doing is we're comparing our gifts to others. Let, let's own that right up front. What happens is we look at our gifts in comparison to what other people do and we think what I do isn't as significant as what they do. And we begin to discount ourselves. And we begin to withdraw from engagement in the gospel and living out the love of Christ because we've got this, um, as, as counselors will sometimes say, this kind of stinking thinking that gets into our head. And this is really a, a 
continuation of what we talked about last week, if you were here. We said, I am only. That was our first phrase that, was, that we need to kind of proverbial have that spiritual mouth washed out with soap. Because I am only a dismissive statement. I'm only a kid. I'm only um, a senior citizen. I'm only educated to this level. I'm only good at this thing. I'm only this or I'm only that. Whatever it is, that, that begins to diminish our value and our worth. And if you carry that out, I am only this, so therefore, what I do doesn't make a difference. So these really go hand in hand. And we need to be challenged to, to pull that thinking out of our brains, to pull those words out of our mouth, because it's, it's not true. And it's not obedient, and it's not gospel. It's not what Jesus says about who we are. It's not what God says about who we are. It's a very narrow view of what it means to, to make a difference. And, and our, our perspective gets very, very skewed. We need to have a, a broader understanding of what it means to make a difference in the kingdom of God. Jesus gives us an, a word about how we can be difference makers. What Jesus does here in Mark chapter 10 is he takes the gospel, which is to live out the love of Christ, and he gives us the model for how that's done. And he does it with very significant, yet very challenging words. Now let's go back to the text for a moment. Let's go back to this encounter. James and John coming to Jesus and asking that, or not even asking, they're saying, they're making this statement, Jesus, we want you to give us whatever we want. And then what is it that they ask for? They ask that they can sit at the right and the left of Jesus. They're asking for the places of prominence, of prestige, of power, of significance, of being seen. Now, their question is still a statement of faith. I want you to understand that. They understand that Jesus is at the center. They understand that Jesus is the foundation. Jesus is the rock. Jesus is the cornerstone. They don't want to step in the place of Jesus. They just want to be real close to him. They want to be seen and recognized because that's, that's significance. That's impact. I mean, they've seen Jesus do miracles. They've seen Jesus teach thousands of people on hillsides. They've seen Jesus um, attract people through, the, through his teachings. They want to be as close to that as possible because they believe that their relationship with God is going to be lived out in their significance and, and, and the scope of um, their prestige and power. And what happens here is what Len Sweet calls a spiritual double cross. Jesus double crosses them. He takes that question and he doesn't say that you can't have prominence in the kingdom of God. Though he does say it's not for him to give where that is. But he redefines what that looks like. See, James and John bought into a kind of thinking that, that we often buy into is that that our worth is defined by crowds and, and accomplishments and, and accolades. And so we get built up. You see what happens is, is our prestige, our significance gets lifted up. We get elevated. And what, what Jesus says is you can have all of that, but you have it not by being elevated, but becoming less than. You have it not by lifting up your worth, but by lifting up the worth of others. You have it not by getting what you want, but rather by sacrificing what you want to meet the needs of what others want. You get it not by gaining, but by giving. 
not by being served, but by serving. He turns it upside down. That's what Jesus says over and over again. He takes the, the understanding, the perspective of people, and he flips it completely upside down. And he says that impact, making a difference, significance in, in my kingdom is measured completely different than the way you've ever seen it measured before. You become more when others become more. And so the relationship, the vertical relationship with God is measured by the horizontal reach that, that, that you have with others, by the difference you make in the lives of others. And Jesus was the model of that. I want you to think about something. What are some of the favorite, your favorite places to eat? What are some of your favorite places? Olive Garden, Carabas, we've got some Italian people. What? Oyster Bar? Outback? Steakhouse, my kind of people. Um, where else? Where else do you love to eat? What's that? Japanese Steakhouse, Longhorn. We could go on and on. All kinds of, of restaurants. Some of you, nobody yet has said their own kitchen. Did you? Did you say your own kitchen? Okay. I'm wondering. I've, nobody said my house is my favorite place. I know we didn't say it in our house. Um, because we don't like to cook. I'm not commenting on the quality. Woo. Dig a hole I didn't even mean to dig. We, we, value, we value our time, our fellowship, our meals together, wherever that may happen to be. Significant things happen around a table. Not just the, the, the food on the table, but, but the fellowship we share. But I wonder how significant we recognize it. Don't you think Jesus did some of his most significant ministry around a meal? Not just the meal that we'll celebrate together, but certainly most significantly that meal. But just in his time of being with others. You know, we think about the significant moments of Jesus' life in the terms of the big moments, the, the teachings, the miracles, the crowds, and those were. But I think some of those most significant times were those times he shared in the fellowship of a few. In fact, it earned him a reputation. And Jesus' reputation was as a drunken and a, glut, uh, a glutton and a drunkard. I mean, that's what people said about him. That's what the religious leaders said about him. Not because either was true, but because he ate with those who had earned that reputation. In fact, I heard Jesus' ministry described once as a great man who celebrated good meals with bad people. A great man who was willing to celebrate good meals with bad people. Not that he dismissed them, but the idea was that, that as a teacher and a rabbi, your reputation was everything, who you associated with. I mean, we teach this to our kids in a lot of ways. You know, pick your friends wisely. And there's, there's value in that. But, but Jesus was willing to associate with anybody who, who was willing to have him, whether they would be tax collectors or prostitutes, fishermen. It, it didn't matter because he understood the significance of those moments, of people understanding their value and their worth. And too often, we forget the significance of what we consider the simple things that we are called to do, and we discount them because we look for the big, celebrated things. And you know what? As a preacher, I'm sometimes guilty of this mentality because the stories and the illustrations I tell, very often I'll pick things that we can identify with, but we'll, also we'll often celebrate the people that do big and great and powerful things, the the Mother Teresas and the um, Martin Luther King Juniors and, and the preachers or, or, or world changers. And 
there's nothing wrong with celebrating that. We should. But we forget that, that very, very significant power things happen way under those radars and no less important. No less important. And so Jesus gives this model of ministry that is focused on serving and very often I think that service is lived out in small but very impactful ways. There was a story floating around the internet. This was a little while ago. Maybe you saw it. I don't remember all the details. But basically, the, the gist of the story was a woman came into a, a McDonald's one morning to, to have breakfast, and uh, she noticed there in the corner of the, the restaurant was a, a man who was obviously homeless, and he was just sitting there with a cup of coffee. It was all he'd been able to afford to get. And uh, she went over and struck up a conversation for a moment. She was moved by the sight of him, and I asked him if he was hungry and wanted something to eat. Of course he was. And so she went and got him a meal. A, you know, breakfast meal. And, and that in and of itself is a wonderful act of generosity and compassion. That in and of itself, most of us would celebrate of itself. But that's not where it ended. She also bought herself a meal. And then she went and she sat down at the table with him. And she shared the meal together. And we know of this because people, as we live in a society now where everybody has a camera, people in the restaurant noticed it. And they took pictures and it kind of went around in her story. I don't know if we even know her name. I don't remember where it was. And there's other stories you may have heard similar. But it was so startling because it was so outside the norm. I mean, you think about it. We tend to, if we're honest, we see homeless or we see those people in those kind of needs or people, forgive my language, those people. Shame on me. We see people in those circumstances and um, we tend to kind of wonder about them. We we keep it arm's distance sometimes because it's messy. Jesus says, get messy. Engage. What that woman did, why did it draw so much attention? Because it was outside the norm. Because she not only provided the physical need, but she was willing to sit down and to share the meal. She was willing to be a difference maker, to communicate to this individual in this moment that he was of worth and of value. Now, I don't know whether she was a Christian or not. I have my suspicions, but I don't know. But she was doing something very Jesus-like in that moment. And she was making a difference. It's not the same kind of difference that's going to get her on the news or, or aside from a social media world, probably would have, no one would have really noticed it. But it was no less impactful. We need to, to have a wider understanding of what it means um, to make a difference. Jesus says, you want to be difference makers? You want to be impactful? You want to leave a legacy? Serve. Serve somebody. And, and the truth about that is, and why this challenges our thinking is I don't make a difference is, as I look out here, we all have the ability to serve somebody. We all have the ability, because to serve somebody is just to say, I'm going to put your needs above my needs. I'm going to do for you whatever I can do for you. And that may be lived out in different ways, that's, that's embodied in different actions, but it's, there's not a person in here who's not capable of doing that. There's not one person who can stand up and go, God can't use what I have. I can't make a difference. Because if you believe that, you are diminishing the power of God at work in your life. You're absolutely diminishing that. Not equal gifts, not equal service, but we all can serve. And sometimes, and I think most often, it's not in the big ways that draw a lot of attention. It's the simple yet powerful ways in which we begin to make a difference in the life of one person at a time. 
I, I love to observe. I get to watch difference makers all the time. And I get to see this lived out. I just, when I'm around here and bouncing around the church, I observe and I watch. And I get to people watch. I was here last Saturday um, helping with the food distribution. And you think, well, the biggest gift that we give in that moment is the food that meets the physical need of, of the guests that come in. And that is a big need. I don't diminish that at all. But you know what I really love to watch? I love to watch the interaction. Many of the folks that come through are regulars. Many of the volunteers are there every two weeks, every month serving. And what becomes so powerful is not just the commodities, but it's watching a volunteer give one of the, the, the guests a hug. Watching them joke and laugh and tease each other as they're coming down the way. Banter. Because in those moments, what gets communicated is you're somebody of worth. You're not a project. You're not a need. You're, you're somebody to be valued and loved. And we're glad you're here. And let's have a little fun while you're here. Because we kid because we love. And I love to see the kid. And, and where's Jimmy? Is Jimmy in here? Jimmy's the, kid, the chief kidder in the group. And, and it's fun, and it's fun to watch. And, and to see moments when I'm walking down a hall and I peek in a nursery and we've got a volunteer or Linda's in there with, with a kid in her lap or just playing, those are moments in which difference gets made. At the end of vacation Bible school, which we'll have in a few weeks, when kids are leaving on Friday night and they're running back to give their, their teachers and their leaders hugs because they've made a difference. That's not going to get on the front page of the news. It's not going to get headlines. But it is no less significant because it's doing something. We're called to do something. Came across a story this week um, from 1982. Um, Larry Walters was his name. Some of you may remember this story. Um, but he, uh, he had always wanted to fly. And he'd even enlisted as a young man in, in the military because he wanted to be a pilot, but he wasn't able to be a pilot. But he never gave up his dream to fly. So one day, um, he did something, well, crazy. He bought um, 42 or 45, I think, weather balloons, helium-filled weather balloons, you know, not party balloons, the big ones. And uh, he went home, and he attached them to, a, to a, like a recliner, and he tethered his recliner down. I'm not making this up. This is a true story, I promise. <laughs> he tethered them to his recliner. He got in his recliner, and uh, he had a drink, some drinks. He had, I think, a radio, and he had a BB gun. And he cut himself loose. And he shot up, and I researched this, to 16,000 feet. And he hung out there for hours, floating along. He got up there. The intention of the BB gun was to shoot some of the balloons so he could start when he wanted to descend. But he got afraid to shoot the balloons because he was afraid it would off-center him, and he'd you know, become a... Free fall. I think he might have had a parachute too. I'm not sure of that part of the story. But he floated along. Eventually he floated into the airspace of the Long Beach Municipal Airport. And there were pilot reports on like Delta Airlines are coming in reporting. Now I want you to imagine what this conversation as they recorded seeing a man in a recliner floating at 16,000 feet. Finally, because the, he was getting lightheaded and dizzy, the lack of oxygen, he shot a couple of the balloons. He began to descend. On the way down, he got caught in power lines, and the utility crews and, and police officers had to come cut him down, at which case he was immediately arrested. <laughs> but as he was being arrested and he was being let out, they asked him, Larry, why did you do it? And he said, well, a man can't sit around 
all day, can he? Or can't sit around and do nothing. That was his A man can't sit around and do nothing. And that's the quote that resonated with me. We can't sit around and do nothing. We, we can't have that mentality because we buy into a lie or we speak a lie that I don't make a difference. You do make a difference. You absolutely make a difference. You need to embrace that. Allow God's truth to shape that and make the difference you can make. Do what you can do because you never know what lives you may change, what history God may use you to, to help write in, the, in, in his story of salvation. In the mid-19th century, there was a Sunday school teacher in Boston by the name of Ed Kimbrell. Ed Kimbrell taught Sunday school to young men there in Boston who came to his church. A wonderful gift, but not something you would think that we would know him for. But one day a young man came into a Sunday school who had moved to Boston. He began to work in his uncle's um, shoe store. And his uncle said, if I um, employ you, you've got to go to church. So he went to church, and he went to Ed Kimbrell's Sunday school class. And Ed Kimbrell took a liking to him, invested in him, and built a relationship one-on-one. -on -one. one day he came to the shoe store, and he led this young man in prayer as this young man gave his life to Jesus. Most of us would never know that story, would never get it, grab attention. It wouldn't be historically remembered, except that young man happened to be Dwight L. Moody. Now, Dwight L. Moody may not be a name you're all that familiar with, but he was a lay preacher, teachers rough around the edges, um, but he would go on to lead, some believe, over a million people to Jesus in the course of his ministry. And it started with a Sunday school teacher who was willing to invest in his life. Now, we focus on the Dwight L. Moody's. We focus on those names. But don't ever forget the one lone man in the life of one young kid that chose to make a difference. And it's a neat story because Dwight L. Moody, in his ministry, had a young apprentice um, whose name I'm now forgetting. Um, uh, Abrams, I think, I'm, I'm blanking on him, but this young apprentice would go on to be a traveling preacher, a Presbyterian minister. And in his ministry, he would be in a relationship with another young man whose name was Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday would go on to become the most renowned evangelist of the early, ninth, or the early 20th century. Billy Sunday would, in turn, have a young man that he would build a relationship with by the name of Mordecai Ham, who would go on to be a preacher and a traveling evangelist. Mordecai Ham led a revival in Charlotte, North Carolina in 1934 where a young man came to the altar of the church and gave his life to Jesus, and that young man, as many of you know, was Billy Graham. And it started with a Sunday school teacher in Boston. We know all those names, but we forget. Brothers and sisters, we, we can make a difference. You can make a difference. Don't ever buy in to that misguided thinking that you can't, that your gifts don't matter, your gifts are insignificant. It may be that the only history book that remembers you is the salvation history of God, but that is the most important history for eternity to be known by. Make a difference. Make a difference. Jesus says, serve. Put the needs of others above yourself. We are all capable of doing that. When you begin to think, I don't make a difference. When you begin to think, my gifts don't measure up to anybody else's gifts. I can't do what they can't do. I'm not as important as they are. Allow God to give you a squirt 
of liquid soap and rinse it out because it doesn't need to be here and it doesn't need to come out of here because it's not true. And when we do that, we diminish God. We are the vessels in which the Holy Spirit inhabits. That means something. Allow God to convince you, you make a difference. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we, uh, we need to hear your word to us today. We need to be challenged by your truth. And we need to be empowered to embrace the opportunities you give us to serve others and to love as Jesus loved. We pray your blessings, your strength, and you give us a spirit to be faithful and obedient. In Jesus' holy name, amen.